1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up Up YouTube channel and the Grid's YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Great to be with you on this beautiful Thursday. Again, earlier time than usual due to some scheduling conflicts, but a loaded one nonetheless. We're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns going down 2-0 to the Denver Nuggets and why I think their season is a wrap. It is over. Go and put the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals because this thing is... It's over. I think a gentleman's suite could be on the way. Uh, I had nuggets and six. I feel like I might have overestimated Phoenix in that regard. I'll also get I'll also gets Dylan Brooks being notified by the Memphis Grizzlies front office. He will not be brought back under any circumstances. This, of course, coming um <laughs> this coming two months before free agency starts. Tells you what they think about him. I'll get to that. As well as Joe B, to me, rightfully, finally winning an MVP. I didn't think he should have won it the last two years like some, but certainly this year. I, I thought it was as obvious as it got and the voters uh, said as such. I'll get to that as well as the Philadelphia-Boston uh, series. And uh, at the end of today's show, again, today's Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. I'm going to be doing a Star Wars segment, okay? So which Star Wars characters remind me the most of certain athletes? Okay, like who's... Uh, which athlete reminds me the most of uh, Chewbacca? I don't know. Maybe y'all have y'all guessed. Please chime in the comments. Uh, feel free. But like I said, a Star Wars special segment at the end of today's show. Very much looking forward to it. But I got to start the show with by far the most anticipated second round series. And rightfully so. And that would be the Los Angeles Lakers in my defending NBA champion, Golden State Warriors. The Lakers, as I predicted, took game one by a final score of 117 to 112. Highly, highly entertaining game. Part of the reason I took the Lakers, really the biggest reason I took the Lakers, they knock off Memphis, do so in a way in which the starters get to rest the fourth quarter. I mean, LeBron's not playing that many minutes. Neither is Anthony Davis. I mean, it's just garbage time. I mean, the great Mark Jones calling the game was saying the, the fourth quarter was like, you know, playing basketball at the, the three, three o'clock at LA Fitness and on the, the, the off court, basically. Like, it was, it was not, not great basketball. But the Lakers get 48 extra hours of rest. Golden State's coming off a grueling Seven-game series against the Sacramento Kings. I didn't anticipate the Warriors would come in and just like pick up right where they left off. Momentum is a real thing, yes. But if we're going to talk about momentum, let's talk about the Lakers' momentum. And they had, in my view, more momentum and more rest than Golden State did coming into this game. And I think you saw that, especially third quarter, you saw that in stretches uh, by the Lakers. Uh, Anthony Davis was the man. He had 30 points. Uh, was it 23 rebounds? Had five assists as well. Shot 11 for 19 for the field. Uh, 0 for 2 from 3. I'm not sure why he took those two three-pointers uh, as dominant as he was the paint, given the work to Kavon Looney and to Draymond Green. Uh, and more on AD a little later in the show. But what I think is interesting is that you look at Golden State, and you look at and part of the reason I said this, is, this thing was going to go 7, and I had the Warriors winning in 7, is because both teams present matchups that really hurt the other. For example, Golden State going small ball at the end, killed the Lakers big lineup, killed them, went on a fourteen zip run to get right back into the basketball game. And why Darvin Ham didn't use a timeout in that run? Unknown to me. And then on the other hand, what the Lakers present, a lot of size. and to me, more importantly, a lot of length. You put, they saw they put Jared Vanderbilt on Steph Curry. He gave Steph a lot of problems. Now, with some of that Steph, you know, a little exhausted coming come off of game seven, very well could be the case. I talked about LeBron. What, you know, LeBron was terrible in game five against the Memphis Grizzlies. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to cut LeBron some slack. He had a 20-20 game just two days before that. I'm going to cut some slack on a game that the Lakers didn't have to win. Uh, same, same situation with, with Steph Curry, who had an inefficient night, shot uh, 10 for 24 for the field, 6 for 13 for 3, 6 for 13 isn't bad, uh, with 27 points. But again, Didn't look like the Steph that we saw in the Sacramento series. And the reality is shots are going to be tougher to come by for Steph and for all the Warriors because when I talked about my playoff weaknesses and I talked about the Sacramento Kings, what was what I said? The Kings of offense, best offense in the NBA, and the peasants of defense, 25th best defense in the NBA. And you saw that Golden State only scored under 100 one time in that series. Like they got whatever they wanted against Sacramento. It's not going to be a case against a Lakers team that is, uh, to me, by a not a crazy margin, but by a pretty comfortable one, is the best defense uh, in the NBA playoffs left. And probably even if, if, you, if, if all the NBA teams made the playoffs, I'd still say the Lakers had the best defense uh, as a whole. But here's what I would worry about if I were Lakers fans. You took care of business. You did, in my view, what you were supposed to do. The Lakers were supposed to win last night or Tuesday night. I'm actually surprised the Warriors were four and a half point favorites in that game. I feel like it should have been more like two, two and a half. And I took the Lakers and the points, and they more than covered. Here's what I'd be concerned about, though. I talked about Anthony Davis, and after game two against the Grizzlies, I called him coin flip Davis, because you don't know what you're getting from a night-to-night basis in terms of uh, his consistency, uh, in terms of what you're getting on a night-to-night basis. Now, defensively, he's been the most consistent player in the playoffs. He's been awesome defensively for every single one of the Lakers' playoff games, all seven of them. Offensively, it's been a different story. It's been up and down, up and down. And I said, I feel like AD would play well in game one. But not, not only if you're a Lakers fan, do you have to worry about AD continuing to play well. And you say, well, the Warriors don't have any size. Neither do the Grizzlies. And he still had two awful games. Awful games. Games two and game four, AD was terrible in the offensive end. And they had Xavier Tillman guarding him. Jaron Jackson Jr., who was the defensive player of the year. In terms of size, he's no match for AD. That shouldn't even been a contest, and yet it was in game four. A.D. played 44 minutes on Tuesday night. Knowing his injury history, that is not sustainable. If Darvin Hand continues to play him 42 to 44 minutes a night, knock on wood for him because I don't want to see anybody get hurt in the series. But given A.D.'s injury history, don't be shocked if he goes down and misses a game. Like that's, for A.D., that's not sustainable. And I'm not sure if it's sustainable for LeBron, who played 40 minutes last night, or Tuesday night rather. And he didn't have all that great of a game. Only shot one for eight from three. LeBron's taking too many threes right now. Like He's shooting a terrible percentage. Like He's shooting like a Dylan Brooks percentage from three of the playoffs, and you never want to be in that category. I think LeBron will be better in game two tonight. I have no worries about him. It's AD that I'm concerned about. The wear and tear. But you give credit to the Lakers. D'Angelo Russell, a big third quarter, finished with 19 points, hit the go-ahead bucket with about a minute left after Golden State tied the game. They got good production from Dennis Schroeder, who... He gave you 19 off the bench, but even better than that, he also played solid defense on the likes of Steph Curry and on Jordan Poole. So all in all, there's no there's no such thing as a bad win, especially in the playoffs. Now, if Golden State had won that game and pulled off the crazy miracle comeback, I think this series ends in five games. I'm serious. I don't think the Lakers would be able to come back from that psychologically. I still feel comfortable seven games. And part of the reason that I picked the Warriors and I feel like more people than there has been should pick the Warriors. The coaching matchup is, the gap between Darvin Ham and Steve Kerr is the Grand Canyon. It is. If Steve Kerr's team is up 14 points on the road, again, in a game they are supposed to win. The other team gets hot, Sorry, hitting some threes, building's getting louder, other teams start to build confidence, they're getting stops, they feel good about themselves. You're telling me, that Steve Curry isn't going to call timeout in that stretch when he has two remaining. Darvin Ham is sitting there, just hands behind his back, just watching them. Eh, yeah, let's, let's, let's see if we can build some character. Let's see if they can play it out. That's not the way to do it. It's the NBA playoffs. When one team gets momentum, especially a team like Golden State, who feeds off the home crowd as well as any team in basketball, you have got to stop the momentum in that run. And the Lakers didn't, and it almost cost them the game. Uh, as for. Last thing before I get to the comments, as for the Jordan Poole shot, because a lot of people are talking about that today, where if you haven't seen the play, Golden State, LeBron misses a three, Warriors are down three, Steve Kerr rarely calls a timeout in that situation, which I agree with, you know, push out and transition so you can get a quick look. And they essentially did get that. Steph Curry pushes it, Lakers make the right decision, double team. They're like, man, we're not letting Steph take this shot. He passes to Draymond, Draymond passes to a wide open Jordan Poole. Now that's a, let me make sure I'm getting this, the math on this right and how deep of a three that was. Uh, Jordan Poole in the last play of the game shot a, uh, let's see, is there is, is it on here? 20, a 27 footers, so basically a 30 foot shot. My only issue with the shot is that he didn't take like one quick dribble and make it like a 25 footer as opposed to a 27 footer. Makes all the difference in the world, trust me. In almost every other game of these playoffs, I would not have been able to sleep at night if Jordan Poole takes that shot. Because when you consider how, I mean, I've been brutal on Jordan Poole all season. He's played out of control, too fast, low basketball IQ, bad defensively, not listening to his teammates. Again, taking horrendous, horrendous shots, which he did all throughout the Sacramento series. Jordan Poole is the one guy who's worried about coming into this series. I don't have a bad word to say about Jordan Poole in game one. I mean, how could I? Jordan Poole, uh, 7 for 15 from the field, 6 for 11, over 50% from three, 21 points. And not to mention, not to mention, other than Klay Thompson, he was the only Warriors with a plus in the plus-minus category. Poole was great. I have nothing bad to say about the guy. The Warriors really turned the game around when they went small and went with Jordan Poole. Matter of fact, he hit a three in that 14-0 run that cut the lead down to three before Steph hit the three to tie it. Almost every other game, I'd be losing my you-know-what over Jordan Poole taking that shot. This time, it was—now, again, I'd rather Jordan Poole take like a little quick dribble and, 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 you know, more of a rhythm jumper. Before, I think it was Hachimura. Moore, I think was, was closing out on the shot. It was, it was one of the Lakers' uh, wing players. It's a good look. Jordan Poole was great all night. I don't have an issue. I'd much rather Steph or Clay take that shot. But the Lakers weren't going to let Steph shoot it. And Clay kind of struggled at that point. Again, Klay was like 9 for 26 for the field, 9 for 25 from the field. So Clay didn't have the greatest night. Now, now am I confident he can make that shot? Of course I am. But bottom line, the Lakers accomplished what they had to in that last possession. Steph Curry, you are not taking the shot to tie the game and go to overtime. Because if that happens, Lakers aren't winning that game. Steph, it's a game-tying three, and you go on a what would it have been a 17-3 to run to send it to overtime, Lakers aren't winning that game. So they did what they they accomplished, what they had to accomplish. Uh, Poole took the shot, unfortunately, for the Warriors. He missed, and the Lakers stole a road win. They steal home court advantage. Golden State in game two tonight is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Feels appropriate. I'll take them to cover. I have Golden State. Let's give it 116 to 106. 116 to 106, Golden State tonight. Feel confident the Warriors will bounce back. They'll respond. Now the Warriors and Lakers on equal rest. AD played 44 minutes. I do Listen, I wish I had a coin. I should have brought a coin in here. Uh, yeah, I don't have any, unfortunately. But if I had a coin, I'd flip it, see what Anthony Davis is going to do. But listen, as my segment goes during the NFL season, if I were a betting man, I'm flipping that coin, that puppy's landing on tail, tails. AD is not going to be as good tonight. Guaranteed it. I think, I think we have potential to have an AD stinker. I'm just, I'm just saying. Let us see. Got some comments here. My man, Philip Let me just say, if Anthony Davis plays like he did in game one, it's going to be tough for y'all to beat us. Agreed. But again, some guys can play 44 minutes. Like, there's not many. I think Steph probably still could, even at his age. I think KD could. Giannis definitely could. Heck, I think Westbrook at this point. Listen, I've been criticizing Westbrook. I've never criticized him uh, physically in terms of him being in shape or not. Westbrook's always in shape. Uh, So Westbrook, I don't know how good would he be in those 44? Eh, That's a different story. Uh, Embiid. I don't know actually with Embiid's physical history. I don't know if he could like. There's guys that could play 44 plus minutes consistently. 80's not one of those guys. He there's if Darvin Ham plays for 44 minutes tonight, man, you better you better pray that he doesn't go down with injury. I'm serious. That's that's not the type of dude you want doing that every single night. Philip, <laughs> yeah, we were texting throughout the game. Philip, he says Darvin Ham gave me a heart attack last game when he didn't make any substitutions or called a timeout in the final minutes. I think that we were texting. I don't know. You either brought up Rui. I think it was, you talking about Rui or somebody you, you wanted to bring in the game, uh, which I, I agreed with you. But the timeout, to me, was even more egregious. You got, to, I mean, you don't get to take those timeouts to game two. I don't know if Darvin Ham doesn't know that, but you don't get to take those to game two. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm watching this. I'm like, man, I'm so glad we're, I'm so glad we're playing against Dar- Darvin Ham right now and not like Eric Spolstra. Because Eric Spolstra's using a timeout. Steve Kerr's using a timeout. Uh. You know, Mike Brown's using a timeout. And something else too, last thing uh, before I get this last comment and move on to uh, the next segment about Joel Embiid. Part of what scared me so much about Sacramento is that series wore on is Golden State played a coach that's as good at doing one thing as their coaches, Steve Kerr. Mike Brown is one of the best coaches in the NBA when it comes to adjustments. Think about this. Remember game six? We're going to game six like, oh, Golden State's going to win. They're going to close them out. Game six, Clay. They're going to close them out at home, get some rest, play the Lakers on on Sunday, right? And that is not what happened. Kings came in and waxed Golden State. But what did Mike Brown do? Demonis Sabonis, who Draymond Green shut down in the series, when Demonis Sabonis got in foul trouble, he put in Trey, Trey Lyles. Sacramento went small, and Golden State never could, you know, never had an answer for it. What do they do? Sacramento tried to go small in Game 6. Golden State countered with that. Now, some of that was just Steph hitting ridiculous shots, if we're being honest. But, listen, adjustments are huge in the playoffs, and Darvin Ham is bad. Bad, as we saw in Game 1 at making adjustments. Steve Kerr might be the best coach in the NBA when it comes to just that, along with Eric Spolster, guys like that. Uh, Barry Grant Jr., also a Lakers fan. He says, best series left in the playoffs. Uh, I, I agree with you in that in two instances, Barry. Best second-round series we got? I don't think that's debatable, and we've got some good ones. Philly and Boston, and I thought Denver and Phoenix would be interesting. I'll get to that later. I think Denver's going to gentlemen sweep those guys. Uh, then what's the other Miami and the Knicks, that's a very interesting series. Tied 1-1 going back to Miami. But this is the best one. It's the best player rivalry since Magic and Bird. It's the greatest player ever, LeBron, to me, and the sixth greatest player ever, Steph Curry. The history that those those guys had, the history that LeBron and the Warriors have, the core three in Golden State with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Oh man, like you can't, you can't you can't ask for anything better. And I don't think we're gonna get, I don't think we're gonna get a better playoff series. The second reason I agree with you, Barry, I don't think we're gonna get a better uh, series the rest of the playoffs. Like if we're talking about potential conference finals matchups, potential finals matchups, I don't think it's gonna be this good. Not to say it won't be good, but it won't be this good. This thing's going seven. Uh, Parnell, what's up, Parnell? He says, Thoughts on Jordan Poole's shot. Yeah, like I said, I was just talking about that. If if this were in the Sacramento series, Parnell, I'd be throwing stuff. I'd, I'd be losing my mind. I have no issue with that shot. I, I again, like I said, I wish Poole would have taken like one dribble, like taken one quick dribble, then rose up into his jump shot instead of it kind of like looked like he was heaving it a little bit, like almost like a desperation. Paul probably was the second best warrior. No, let me free. Refit. Looney was the second best warrior. He was probably the third best warrior in the floor in game two, game one. He's better than Draymond because Draymond got in foul trouble. He was better than Clay because Clay was inefficient. Had a good first quarter, really cooled off after that. Uh, obviously, Steph, we know what he's capable of, and Looney, I think you know again another twenty rebound game for Gavon Looney. That's just Kavon Rodman is what we're going to start calling from here on out. But I, I didn't have an issue with it. Like if the Lakers aren't going to let Steph shoot it, just keep double teaming him, which they obviously should. Uh, other only guy I'd rather have take is Clay, and Clay had struggled. Pool had been really good. So you might as well go with the hot hand. Oh, boy, this is a revelation. Barry, I'm starting to warm up to Steph in my top 10. Respect to Steph for it. Well, that's that's good. I, I'm seeing a lot more people because I remember the debate came up last year is Steph top 10? And there, there was a, I'd say more than half of the media seemed like, ah, I don't know quite yet. Uh, I've seen most who have objectivity. <laughs> Kind of be like, yeah, he's one of the ten best. Like, come on, but we we can't just. Guys got four championships and two MVPs and changed the game of basketball and had the greatest game seven of all time. Like that, that should count for something. Yeah, respect to Steph, without a doubt. Moving on though, so we we had a standalone game last night. It was a snoozer, no question. Boston beating Philadelphia by thirty-four points in game two. Uh, responded emphatically to dropping a game one, which they should not have dropped. No Joel Embiid. Boston's at home. Now you could say, hey, maybe Philadelphia is more rested, but I'm always very wary of teams that sweep their first round series winning in game one because I feel like there's rest and then there's too much rest. And I feel like that was going to hurt Philly in game one. I have Boston winning the series in six. I'll stick with that. But Philly's got a week off. James Harden, we saw him in uh, Vegas a couple days before this game. I'm like, boys, is his head, head, head in it? Apparently so. You know, whatever James Harden's got to do to get ready. Hey, I don't question his methods as long as he's good. And there's no Joel Embiid. And Boston's at home. And they're expected to win this game. They're like 10-point favorites. And here comes Philly. Underdog comes in. James Harden drops 45. Has arguably the best game of his playoff career. Tobias Harris shows up. Tyrese Maxey shows up. And Philadelphia steals one. And then Boston responded last night. Uh, But the bigger topic is Joel Embiid. He won this year's NBA, the Kia NBA MVP award, uh, to me deservedly so. I was actually, from about mid-January to early March, and this says a lot, I was kind of on the Jokic MVP train. And my thing was, the only reason I wouldn't give it to him is because it would make it three straight. And with all due respect to Nicole Jokic, who is a fantastic player, French top five player in the NBA. He's not Larry Bird. <laughs> like that's that, that kind of goes without saying. He he can do more things than Larry Bird. The Bird's the better scorer, better shooter, uh, passer. It's close, but I'd probably go Jokic in that regard. And Bird's without question the better defensive player. And Bird led a dynasty that should count for something. But the thing with Jokic is, I said I can't give him three straight MVPs. I, I, not because I didn't think he deserved the last two whatsoever. I thought Steph should have won it in '21, and Giannis should have won it last year. And this year, Jokic was the guy. But then Embiid, to me, what really kind of turned things around a little bit was that January game. Remember that late January game? Kind of a matinee uh, game in Philadelphia on ESPN, national TV. Embiid versus Jokic. Whew, and Embiid cooked that man. Almost had a 40-20 game against a Jokic who had like 25, and I think he almost had triple-double to his credit, but Embiid, like, I think he was like 40, gosh, was it 47, 48, something like that, and 19 rebounds. Just cooked him. Embiid for the season averaged 33 and 10, second straight year he's led the league uh, in scoring. To me, this is a no-brainer. Because to me, the three finals for MVP are the same as it was last year, right? Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. I had Giannis as my number two, although I could be talked out of Giannis and into Jokic for number two, not because of what happened in the series, simply because without Giannis, Bucks had a winning record. Like he didn't, he missed like 20 games. That's a that's a quarter of the season, and the Bucs had a winning record. Does that mean Giannis is valuable? Of course not. Does that mean the Bucs can win a championship without him? No. But was he more valuable to the Bucs as Embiid was to? the Sixers, and as Jokic was to the Nuggets? I don't think so. Certainly not as much as Embiid was. When you consider his impact of the defensive end, you consider one thing about Embiid too, and I think every MVP's got to have this, and this is why I said about Jokic, like what was, it's kind of like we talk about in college football, what's somebody's Heisman moment? Like last year, I think it was Caleb Williams. He had a huge game against UC, back-to-back big games against UCLA and against Notre Dame. And he kind of stole off of those uh, off of those two along with his great performance before that. Heisman moment. What's your MVP moment? Like we can think about uh, in recent memory. Again, the shot behind me, the the little can- canvas behind me, Steph Curry, the, the walk-off shot against OKC, MVP moment. James Harden, which I think LeBron should have been MVP this year. Uh... In, 20, in 2018, but when Harden broke, was at Wesley Matthews' ankles and just stared at him and switched the three? That was his MVP moment. Uh, gosh, Giannis, was, was it 2019? I forgot. He had a like a block and a steal and a dunk on the other end. Like, that was his MVP moment. What was Jokic's MVP moment? What was Giannis's MVP moment this year? And beat him like two or three. The 40-20 game against Jokic, almost 40-20 game rather, he had 19 rebounds. The game-winner, he I think it was a buzzer beater against Portland, if I'm not mistaken. A little step-back buzzer beater, which centers don't do that. Like, that's just step-back jumpers is not something that centers are known for. But because Embiid is so skilled, that's what he did. And then the third one was, uh, unfortunately, a shot that did not count. Jason Tatum hits a shot, a three-pointer with just a couple seconds left to put the Celtics up three. It's a Saturday night primetime game. Embiid catches the inbound and just heaves it full court, swishes it, the problem is he shot after the, after the buzzer had went off, so it didn't count, which was just a shame. If, he, if that shot would have counted, that would have been so awesome. That would definitely been his MVP moment. But what kind of, what bothers me about it this year, there's always, the, the NBA media never ceases to amaze me with, with their MVP voting. My thing is, I may disagree with your criteria, but stay consistent to your criteria. Again, I agree. I think Embiid should be MVP. And congrats to him. No question about it. But they changed the change of criteria again this year. Again. If you look at, again, I, 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 compare, I really think it started with Westbrook. That, to me, is kind of where it started. Where Westbrook wins the MVP in 2017 because he averaged a triple-double. we would never seen it since Oscar Robertson many, many decades before Westbrook did it. Congrats to him. Westbrook does it in the next year. Doesn't finish in the top five in MVP voting. He does it again the next year. Done it, doesn't finish to the top five MVP voting. Two years after that, he does it again. Doesn't finish to the top. Like he's never even in the discussion for MVP. Well, I thought it's if it's about stats, then no. How about 2018? So Westbrook's off the table. LeBron James had a typical LeBron James statistical season. Average about what, 26, 27 a game, over six rebounds and uh, six assists carries, no Kyrie Irving there. We're talking valuable, right? No Kyrie Irving. He just got traded to Boston. Took a horrible Cleveland Cavaliers team to the playoffs. Again, it's a regular season award, so we won't even talk about the fact that Cleveland got to the finals that year. Had no business being there. Heck, they had no business in the playoffs, so he took them there as the four seed and was awesome that season. Played all 82 games. But why'd they give it to James Harden? Led the league in Scoring. And the Rockets were the best team in the NBA in the regular season that year. Okay, that's that's a little strange. The next year, James Harden was better. Look at the stats. Better and clearly more valuable to the Rockets the next season than he was the season prior. Chris Paul missed some time. Uh, They had the Carmelo Anthony situation the first month of the season. All the chaos around Houston. And Harden was, and I've been critical of Harden. But it's steady as a rock. Led the league in scoring by a wide margin. Went in close. Averaged like 35 a game or something. Better than the year before. Doesn't win MVP. Goes to Giannis. Okay. I got you. Can give it to Giannis again. And then last year, Jokic wins back-to-back. Because he was better in 2022 than he was in 2021 when he won MVP. Keep in mind, 2021, the Nuggets were the three seed. 2022, they were the sixth seed. They say, well, he was better the year after his MVP than the year before. It's an odd criteria. Why didn't they give it then to James Harden in 2019? Why didn't they give it to LeBron James in 2011? See how they kind of, and now it's, again, now it's all about analytics. That's another case they made for Jokic. He's the analytics darling. Look at his analytics this year. They're way better than last year. It's not, way better. And I I don't care much about analytics, but if you look at the analytics, Jokic was better this year, absolutely, than he was last year. It's not even, it's not even a debate, and the Nuggets were better. Doesn't even come close to winning MVP. Now, again, I think James, I think, I think Joel Embiid deserved to win it this year. But that is the thing that bothers me. It just, I'm telling you, it makes my head spin with with just confusion about how they they, they do this MVP process. Like how, tell us how it works and we'll judge off of that. Just have a consistent system to use. I'm just curious in 2024 what the criteria is going to be. Because let's say for the sake of argument, Joel Embiid averages 34 and 12. So he averages one point more than this year and two rebounds more than this year. Has the best season of his career that would be. But Philly's like the three or four seed in the East and uh, gosh, I don't know. Thinking about a team. Let's say the trying to think about the playoff seeding. See. Okay. Let's say the Sacramento Kings are the best team in the NBA next year which very well could be the case. And De'Aaron Fox is great. And De'Aaron Fox wins MVP. I thought, I thought Embiid was was better this year than he was his MVP year. And then Jokic, we know he's the analytics darling, so what if Jokic is even better next year when it comes to his analytics? Uh, analytics don't matter to us anymore. Like, I, I'm just, I'm confused of what they're trying to get at in terms of how they vote for this award. Me? You're asking my criteria? I just based off
0: for free at
1: LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I base it off of primarily the the middle letter. The V. The valuable. Who's the most valuable player? That's what I base it off of. If you have your criteria, you got your criteria. We all have our own criteria. Um And I think in B it was the most valuable. If you want to do most outstanding like they do in the... Uh, in March Madness, then do that because to me that's a different that's a different conversation. If you want to say who's the best player in the NBA, I'd argue it was probably Steph Curry or Giannis, but that's not the question. Steph Curry missed too many games. Giannis wasn't as valuable to the Bucks as Embiid was to the Sixers, so that's why I agree with Embiid winning MVP. I, I just want a consistent criteria. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. Now, that's one thing I I do not like the I do not like baseball writers. With what they do with the Hall of Fame, but more often than not, they're pretty darn consistent about the MVP. NFL writers are always consistent about the MVP. It always goes to a quarterback. At least they're consistent. You you can have a problem with it, but you can't say, "Oh, they're just flip-flopping all over the place." They, they know what the criteria is coming in. NBA, no idea, no idea. It's it's weird. Let's see. Uh, Barry says LeBron should have won MVP in 2020 with what he did that championship season. You could probably convince me into that. My thing was, and I listen, I, I, I thought the Bucs weren't near as good. I'm talking about as a team. I'm talking about Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe was on that team, Brooke Lopez. I didn't think the Bucs were near as good two and a half years ago in the bubble. Going into the bubble, you can check my shows back then. I did not buy in the Bucs at all as a championship contender. So for Giannis to have them, I mean, there was a point. I remember during that season, we're talking about, could the Bucks threatened the Warriors seventy three and nine record, and then they had a rough February and it kind of took them out. But they were in they were in a position where it's like, dang seventy three and nine might actually be on the line. Bucks weren't that good this that that season as a roster, but Giannis was awesome, and again he won Defensive Player of the Year. And you can argue, well, they wanted the story of Giannis winning back to back MVPs and winning Defensive Player of the Year, which I think only Hakeem has done. I could be wrong about that, but I think only Hakeem Uh and Michael Jordan. Michael and Akeem are the only other two guys to uh, to do that. Well, LeBron should have done it in 2013. He should have gotten defensive player of the year. I'll definitely agree with you on that. Barry, the criteria is just wonky. Analytics should not dictate an MVP. It's just a stupid way they vote, man. I, and I'm with you. Uh, but if it's about analytics, the vote based on the analytics. If it's about statistical historic achievements like Westbrook, base it off that. If it's best player on the best team, base it off of that. Like it's just, and sometimes those things coincide. Like again, like Steph Curry, for example, 2016, best player in the best team had one of the greatest individual seasons of all time. Let a freaking 73. You can't not give an MVP to a guy a 73 and 19. Um, But again, they, they change it from year to year and it's, it's really confusing, but I do agree with Embiid winning it this year. So hats off to Joel Embiid. Well-deserved. By the way, in the time between me talking about Warriors-Lakers and Joel Embiid, the line has actually gone up. Golden State, now, it went from Golden State minus six to Golden State minus seven. I would still, if I were a betting man, as I would say, I would take Golden State to cover that. I got the winning by 10, 116-106, goes back to LA tied 1-1. If you're asking me my predictions for the rest of the series, I'll tell you what I going to happen. I think the Lakers win game three, the Warriors win game four to avoid going down 3-1, the Warriors come back home and win game five. Lakers win game six. Warriors win game seven. So, okay, I think we... Okay, so essentially, I think we only have one more road win the rest of the way. I think Golden State gets it in game four. So, we win tonight. Lakers win Saturday. We win Monday. And then we take two of the next three after that uh, in our home gym. But, man, it has been such a good series. Um, the skill level... the Again, in terms of matchups, it's as good as it gets. Uh, the question is... The question is whether or not uh, the coaching will dictate the final outcome because I, I have a feeling that very well could be the case. To the other Western Conference playoff series, Suns Nuggets. Bad news, Phoenix, the series is over. You're done. I felt like the Suns, because I have been consistent. It's one, one thing you cannot say about me is that I'm not consistent. Said from October... On to now, that I think the Warriors are going to win the championship, even through the the, the dog days, the their bad November and eleven thirty on eleven thirty on the road. I said if they are healthy and if they get Andrew Wiggins back, I had that caveat. If Wiggins doesn't come back, you got me. But if Wiggins comes back and they're healthy, we can win the championship. Matter of fact, I think we will win the championship. And I said Phoenix was our biggest threat in the West. I feel like the Lakers were in that ballpark as well. I, I, I feel like this is going to be the toughest series the Warriors had to win the rest of the way. If they get to the Western Conference Finals, get to the NBA Finals. To me, that will not be as tough as this series with the Lakers right now. That's why seating means nothing to me in today's NBA. Phoenix with KD, with Devin Booker, 230 point per game, guys. Chris Paul being a third fiddle, just you know, not really scoring at all, but being more of a distributor to those guys. Monty Williams is a coach. I have major questions about DeAndre Ayton, but I said benches shorten in the playoffs. It's really seven to eight guys that are getting consistent minutes on a night-to-night basis. And so I, I was like, I don't think Phoenix's bench is going to just kill their chances. Yeah, I was dead wrong. It's not just their bench that's killing the chances. It's their starting lineup who's killing their chances. And now the third best player on the team, Chris Paul... Barry Barry Grant Jr. gave him the nickname years ago, Black Cat Paul. It struck again. He's out from, it looks like, games three through five. With a, I think it was a hamstring injury, a groin, something like that. So Chris Paul's done for at least the next three games. And frankly, I don't think the series is going to go beyond those next three games. I think Phoenix will avoid going down. through. I think Kate, we're going to get a, a big KD game tonight. The Suns will win tomorrow, sorry, tomorrow night. Suns will win tomorrow night and the Nuggets will win the next two and gentlemen sweep the Phoenix Suns matchup wise. And I had Denver winning in six before the series. I thought the way they looked against Minnesota and you could say, well, Minnesota was the worst team in the playoffs and you'd be right. But did you see what Minnesota did to the Lakers in the playing game? Like they took them down to the wire and didn't play that well in doing so. So I'm like, okay, Minnesota's a nice, they're not championship contender, but they're a nice team. They can maybe push somebody six or six games or so they got talent. I don't think they're that well-coached. And Denver dismantled them. (laughs) Dismantled them in five games. Phoenix, who I said would go six games with the Clippers, despite there being no Paul George coming in, because I'm like, Clippers have a great bench, Clippers have a great coach, and Kawhi's awesome in the playoffs historically. The problem is they didn't have Kawhi after game two. Suns won by the skin of their teeth in game three. Won close in game four. And in Game Five, with no Kawhi, no Paul George, you're at home. You probably got players the Clippers that are already scheduling their vacation in in Cabo. Westbrook plays awful, three for eighteen, and the game's tied with two minutes to go. And I'm like, okay, I'm out on Phoenix. Like th- this game should not even be close right now. And it's taking Devin Booker forty burgers, Kevin Durant thirty burgers, and just a little, just a little bit of production for the from the Phoenix bench just to skate by a beat-up Clippers team. So that's why I, put, I took Denver to win this series. Tuesday night, Monday night rather, was one of those games you talk about is on a silver platter for a team to win. Especially if you're talking about Phoenix, because Phoenix by definition has to win at least one road game. Now they got to win, yeah, actually they still got to win road game, my bad. But you got to win one road game to win this series, minimum. That's assuming you take care of your home court. The score, the the game going the fourth quarter, Phoenix has a three-point lead. Now, I understand Chris Paul went down third quarter, but this is Kevin Durant. This is Devin Booker. KD is a guy who I said, I think, coming into this playoffs. Where did I, let me pull up the list. I think I had KD. I certainly am in the top five. If I can find the list, I think that's it right there. Yeah, I I had KD three. I had a spot above LeBron James as far as best players coming into the postseason uh, this year, uh, certainly, again, I always make changes because the postseason changes a lot of things. But I had KD number three. If you're the third best player in the world, you got a three-point lead. This is a game your team has got. If you could steal game two, momentum flips. Because Jamal Murray had a bad game two. Did not play well at all. Jokic got almost no help. And he took the game over. Kevin Durant, who we we know as the efficiency king. We talk about guys shooting 50, 40, 90, which is so hard to do. 50 from the field, 40 from three, 90 from the line. Katie said, I'll do you one better. I'll shoot 55 from the field, 40 from three, 90 from the line. He's the efficiency king. He's the most, he's not the greatest scorer ever, but he's the most gifted scorer ever. He does it more effortlessly than anybody who's ever played the game. In 44 minutes, 10 for 27 from the field, and even worse. Two for 12 from three point range. Devin Booker did what he could, gave you 35 and on, uh, you know, 14 to 29 shooting. It's not bad and shot 50% from three. But that's one of those games. If you're Kevin Durant, if you are one of the greatest basketball players who's ever played the game and you're still in your prime, that's one of those you got to go, go win. Yes, I understand you don't have Chris Paul. Yes, I understand the roster is not perfect. Jokic didn't have a lot of help. Phoenix felt like they had the momentum going in the fourth quarter, and while I think Mike Malone is one of the more underrated coaches and overcriticized coaches in the NBA, he's no Monty Williams. Monty Williams won the Coach of the Year last year, deservedly so in my view, and is one of the better team motivators and 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 you know strategists coaches in the playoffs. You have all that going for you, and you're not able to close the deal. You're not able to to put together a big fourth quarter. And get this thing back tied one-one going to Phoenix. If it's one-one going to Phoenix, now you're like, okay, we can we can still split. Again, you'd prefer to take care of home court, go up three-one, so that you don't have to win Game Five. You can just close them out in six. We've seen many teams do that in the past. But that's a backbreaking loss for for Phoenix. If there was again to steal a road game, you got to have some things go your way. I mean, you got to play well, obviously, put yourself in position to steal a game. But it's got to be the other team's role players aren't playing well or the team's best or second best player has a bad shooting night or someone, God forbid, knock on wood, goes down with injury or the coach makes a bad move or the ref makes a bad call. Things have to go your way for you to win on the road, especially in Denver. That place is so hard to win, not just because they have a loud crowd, but the altitude. It's a whole different ballgame going to play at, what's it called, ball arena now than it is any arena in the NBA. It's just a different feeling. You Got to be in good physical condition to play there. Jokic is awesome, but Murray's terrible. KCP, by the way, played well. Okay, give correct Catavius Caldwell Pope. He had a, uh, he had 14, five or six for the field, didn't miss one of his threes and played excellent defense. Uh, but again, what so Bruce Brown was good off the bench, played good defense, but inefficient. Jeff Green gave gives you two points, albeit on a dunk, but two points. And uh, and Christian Braun from uh, uh Brown from Kansas, the rookie, gave give you two points off the bench. Aaron Gordon only gave you 16. Michael Porter Jr. is bad. He gave you five. Again, Jamal Murray, three for 15. 0 for 9 from three. That's, if you you have to win a road game to win the series, and I don't think you're going to get a better opportunity than you did in, in, in game two. That's that's a tough, tough loss for Phoenix, and I think it's a backbreaking loss that's going to end their season. Again, they win game three tomorrow night. I think Katie has a big game, 35-40 points, wills them to victory. Denver responds in game four make some clutch plays down the stretch in a close game. And then Denver closes the mountain game five. Like Chris Paul will probably try to play in game five, not a hundred percent. It'll hurt Phoenix. Denver will close the deal and advance to the Western conference finals to play either the warriors or the Lakers. It's just so confusing though. Like it's. I think Katie's one of the 15 greatest players ever personally. I think He's one of the, the, you know, Again, like I said, the most gifted scores, one of the most gifted scores we've ever seen. But man, we've seen many playoff games in the past outside of Golden State where he's he's left a lot on the table. He's left some things to be desired. Uh yeah, there, there's Barry. Black Cat Paul strikes again. I don't understand giving up your depth for KD. Why the Suns didn't learn from Brooklyn's mistake. No defense, no depth. Shaking my head, it reeked of desperation. It did wreak a desperation in part because Phoenix's championship window was closing. And even if they do have bridges Cam Johnson, I do not think the Suns get past round one. I'm sorry, don't get past round two in the playoffs. But I was talking to Grady Edwards as a frequent uh, uh commenter on on this show. And you know, we, we were talking about it and he said, Look, like I, I could I would not have an issue if they just poured into the bench this offseason. Like, the championship window is still open, even if Phoenix loses uh, this series, which I think they will. KD's still there and in his prime. Devin Booker's still there and kind of just going into his prime. Chris Paul's way past it. They very well could move on from him and and try and replace him maybe with like a Mike Conley or something like that. I think Mike Conley would be a great fit in Phoenix. But just filling in those holes. They've got enough cap space. Move on from DeAndre Ayton. But fill fill in the holes, uh, build this thing around K.D. and Book, uh, and Monty Williams will certainly get the best out of the talent that he has given. Uh, but again, we'll we'll see what happens. I think it's a, uh, but I think it's a wrap for for the Phoenix Suns. Again, trying to trying to finish uh, these last few these last few uh, graphics for the uh, the Star Wars segment we're going to do later in the show, which I'm very very excited about. Um, I did want to move on though to to Memphis. Oh boy. It's all coming down. Wasn't there a saying by uh god what was what's his name? Christian Bale in in the in Batman the, the the Dark Knight movie. Isn't he is he telling Alfred? I think he's telling Alfred when he he's talking about the Joker. He says some people just want to watch the world burn. In this little instance with the Memphis Grizzlies, I feel like the joker right now. I just want to watch everything burn and come down. Not, not anything bad happen to pe- the individually, obviously. I don't want any harm wish on anybody, of course. But seeing the season end the way it did, given what had happened, what had transpired before that, and now seeing the repercussions of it, it is beautiful. Dylan Brooks is not coming back to Memphis next year. This according to Sham Sharania, who reported. And I quote, Brooks will not be coming back under any circumstance.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs> That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Free agency was a start for two whole months. They don't even want to negotiate with them. And the fact, listen, Shams had to get this from somebody. He had to get this from somebody in the Memphis organization. I don't know if it came from ownership, from the GM, from Taylor Jenkins, the head coach. I don't know who it came from. It came from somebody in within Memphis's power structure. And for them to say and for him to report <laughs> under any circumstance, we don't want you to take a pay cut. We don't want you to just be like a, a bench guy moving forward. We don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. Get out of our sight. You disgust us. And I'm seeing... A lot of folks to me is saying like, Hey, this, you know, they're making Dylan Brooks, their scapegoat. And is there something to that? Yeah, I think so. It isn't like Memphis is, is exactly known for a, being a well-run basketball operation in terms of competing for championships. Listen, the, the best days of the Grizzlies were when it was Conley, Gasol, Zach Randolph, Tony Allen to me is still in my personal view, probably the greatest on ball defensive guard ever with all due respect to guys like Gary Payton, uh, Tony Allen was a monster. I mean, Kobe Bryant said he had problems with him. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, they, they all had issues with, with Tony Allen, uh, who has his a uh, lot more things to worry about off the court. That's not here nor there. But those Grizzlies teams, the grit and grind Grizzlies, those were tough, tough basketball teams. But they never really, outside of 2013, we looked at them as like, oh, okay, they could they could really win the West here. Maybe they got to the Western Conference Finals 2013. I think the Spurs swept them. That was really the only time we looked at them as, they could actually win it all this year. With this current group they got now, come on now. Now, John Morant is ridiculously talented. Jump out of the gym. Uh, again, I think he's kind of a, a, a reckless player. Uh, I, I think him trying to jump up in the air and make plays against uh, uh, on on lebron james trying to dunk on lebron and almost you know freaking hitting his head on the floor head on if lebron if lebron's head isn't there to break his fall god knows what happened to john morant Thank god lebron was there to to break the fall but trying to dunk on people constantly landing hard coming high out of the air it's what happened to derrick rose that's why i say john morant's got to learn how to land on the floor and not stop trying these highlight plays so often because they're so dangerous you have that, you have Desmond Bain, who what I think is a solid role player, he's pretty good defensively, decent shooter, uh, can get to the rack at a fairly efficient level. He's one of the other guys, who I thought was one of the more quiet guys of the Grizzlies. Even he got sucked into the whole uh, talking trash about everybody who gets the opportunity to do so. Remember he's talking after the the Game 5 win by the Grizzlies, he said, he said, we will be back for a Game 7. Doug, you don't have the cachet to say that. If one of the superstars in this league, a Giannis, a KD... Heck of Chris Paul, who's not a superstar anymore, not even close. But if Chris Paul said we're coming back for game seven, I'm like, okay, I respect that. Now, Chris Paul's a Hall of Famer. We can say we, what, what do we want about his playoff resume, and it's not good. But he's one of the, what, 50 greatest players ever? 60? Like he's one of the best. Desmond Bain is not in that discussion. You have Jaron Jackson Jr. out here. We talk about poking bears, trying to poke the Klay Thompson bear. Talking about strength in numbers. Klay Thompson said he, he didn't appreciate that all that much. Talking about how uh, when the when the the um the Grizzlies beat the Warriors last year, late season game, Golden State didn't play anybody. Second night of a back-to-back, Memphis beat the breaks off of them, and Jared Jackson strengthened numbers. Like, come on. John Morant calls himself Black Jesus, said he would have beaten Mike, sorry, cooked Michael Jordan one-on-one. The power dynamic is in a bad spot in Memphis. They've handed the franchise to Ja, and they're reaping the repercussions of it. Now, they're getting rid of a bad apple, but the problem's with the tree. Like, I di- I was doing some research on Dylan Brooks in the last week or so. He didn't used to be this guy. like, he was a flopper. We all remember when he played basketball at Oregon. He had the ridiculous Oscar-worthy flop in that game. Uh, and we know Coach K. Remember Coach K after that tournament game when he went up to Dylan. Coach K, greatest basketball coach ever outside of John Wood, Wooden, in my view, goes to uh, Dylan Brooks after the tournament game and basically says, "Hey, stop doing that. This stuff. Like you're you're going to hurt yourself as a player. Like the antics and stuff. Clearly, you know. <laughs> clearly, Dylan Brooks did not take that uh, take that advice whatsoever." You have instances here and there. A little trash talk here. But There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's basket. There's nothing wrong with trash talk. But it's, I think, last year was the turning point. You remember? Game two, Warriors-Grizzlies. Draymond Green throws an outlet pass to Gary Payton. Gary Payton goes up for the dunk. And not only does Dylan Brooks foul him, he goes up with his arm, swings at Gary Payton's head, Hits him so hard where not only does it hit Peyton's head, it knocks him off balance in the air, lands awkwardly on his on his arm and breaks it and misses him up. And Dylan Brooks got a flagrant two, and which was early in the game, and then got suspended for game three. So essentially, Dylan Brooks got suspended two games for it. To me, rightfully so. It's a it's a dangerous play. It's a dirty play. at that point on, whoo, Dylan Brooks didn't look back. You have later in that series, there was a play where. Steph Curry's going up for the rebound, and Dylan Brooks didn't foul him. Again, a, a common foul is not good enough for this, this dude. He, while Steph's going up the air, Dylan Brooks just doesn't even try and go for the rebound. He just shoves Steph into, in the back, gets a flag, just shoves him out of bounds when he's going for a rebound. Like, what are you doing? We, we playing basketball? Like, what, 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 are we, what are you trying to accomplish here? If you're trying to send a message, that's not going to work. Because then you're going to get Steph pissed off and get his teammates pissed off because you don't push Steph. Okay, like you don't push the superstar on the uh, uh, on a team, and Dylan Brooks is in his own words poking the bear. Remember, he hit Anthony Edwards awkwardly. He hit Donovan Mitchell in the groin. He hit LeBron James in the groin. Like this guy, he shoves. A, he shoves a cameraman. He's going, he's, he's getting game. against Miami a couple months ago. He's diving for the ball out of bounds. It's not actually, actually he was able to save it. Lands on a camera guy and just doesn't like, you know, use the camera guy to get up, which I think would still be a little like, eh, he just flat out gets up and just shoves the dude. And you see, there's like a pool of people around him trying to help the poor dude up. Just got shoved by, by Dylan Brooks on the sideline. Like this is what he does. This is his history. This is who he is. And At this point, it feels like he's almost in too deep to change his brand, so to speak. And so I'm hearing a lot of sympathy towards Dylan Brooks. I'm sorry, I don't have any. He brought this on himself. The last straw was the Lakers series. He's talking trash LeBron. We saw the soundbite a million times. He's talking about LeBron's old. I, I poke bears, the whole bit. I don't respect you unless you give me 40. We heard all of those. If Dylan Brooks had played decent... Played okay, yeah, averaging fifteen points ish. Uh, you know, maybe not a great percentage, but it is good defensively, which he claims to be, which he's not. If he, if he's good defensively, he averages about fifteen a game. Hits open shots when he gets the opportunity. He's he's still a Memphis Grizzly next year. Like he could still be their quote unquote enforcer. Which if Dylan Brooks is your enforcer, you really need a new enforcer. But if he's productive, if if he makes you slightly better as a team, we keep him. I'm moving on from Dylan Brooks. After that, the problem is because he is badly—I mean, badly—regresses as a player. I mean, I've been critical of Dylan Brooks, and rightfully so, in my view. But last year, no, two years ago, Grizzlies made the fir- the playoffs the first time in the John Morant era, and. Dylan Brooks, I think it was game one. I'm pretty sure it was game one because they upset Utah in game one of that series. Dylan Brooks scored like 31. Like, he was pretty, like, he could hit shots. He was much better defense than he is now. Like, trash talk by itself. The whole point of trash talk is to get in the opposition's head. That's the whole point. Dylan Brooks, through his trash talk, actually got in his own head. Just as all the Grizzlies did, just as Ja did, just as uh, uh, Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson, they because they're they can't back it up. They're not good enough to back it up. Rather, them dudes got in their own head. And so Dylan Brooks is merely a symptom to the problem. Now, he's reaping the repercussions of it. About if you're if you talk too much, get the other team fired up, hurt your team psychologically and on the court because you can't buy a shot. I wish we had a I wish we had a compilation. How many, how many wide open threes? I wonder if there's there's gotta be a stat for this, some analytics, some stat me something of how many wide open looks Dylan Brooks missed. Because Lakers are doubling Jaw. Heck, they had the really confusing game plan of on game two, the game Jaw missed, where Darvin Hams is doubling whoever whoever's got the ball, whether it be Tyler, Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, and Dylan Brooks is getting open shots. How many of those wide-open looks off of double teams did this dude miss? It felt like almost every time down the floor. And they put him, the Grizzlies had the audacity to put him on LeBron? <laughs> Dylan, Dylan Brooks can't guard LeBron. Like, that's, it's, yeah. It's bad coaching. It's bad. It's a bad organization uh, in terms of trying to build a championship contender. This is not the way to do it. Uh I mean, they. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Dylan Brooks also talked about the dynasty. When they unfortunately, uh, the dynasty's over. Although, remember, was the Draymond Green's podcast said the dynasty don't uh, starts after you, not with you. Which I thought was a cold line. Uh, the dynasty starts after you, not with you. So it's just, oh boy. I mean, it's, it's who he is. So he's always been, honestly. At least within the last year. So. Let this be a warning to all NBA players um, from here on out that you can talk, and there's nothing wrong with that. And even if you don't back it up, it doesn't mean you shouldn't talk again. But if not only you don't back it up, but you hurt your team in the process and, heck, hurt yourself in the process, might want to calm down a little bit with that. That's just a word of advice for this Thursday, but this is this was brought Dylan Brooks brought this upon himself like i i i I'd be lying to you if I had a little bit of sympathy for him because I don't all right, don't. uh it's who he is. Let's see we we hold on, we got a couple of tweets in from here. this is from Schefter. uh okay, so well Jalen Carter just signed his uh contract with the Eagles today. For a full year, fully guaranteed $21 million uh, a year deal. Dang. Hey, good. Listen, good for Jalen Carter. Again, uh, Eagles not only got the steal of the draft, they might have had the best draft. Because they draft, listen, they got probably the three best players in Georgia's defense last year. The three best. Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the corners. Kaylee Ringo, the corner. Like, and there was, listen, there were some teams that aced it. I thought Philly aced their draft, but Pittsburgh ace their draft. I thought the Bills had a good draft. Uh, addressed the offensive line a little, bit, a little bit. Got to me the best tight end Dalton uh, Kincaid. Uh, they they really kicked butt in this year's draft. Uh, so props to them. But let's see. Do we in the playoff games? Obviously, we got Golden State. Tonight. Okay, that's the standalone game. Golden State and the Lakers is the standalone game tonight uh, at nine Eastern, six Pacific. Uh, on ESPN again, Golden State is a seven-point favorite. You got Celtics, Sixers tomorrow, and Nuggets, Suns. So again, these playoffs are just flying by. I can't. We're, we're with most of these series outside of Warriors, Lakers. We're basically mid-second round now, kind of. Man, season flew by. I can't believe it. Okay, so let me make sure I've got this right because I'm. I don't want to. I don't want to jump the gun here. Let's see. Uh... Okay, so okay, so like I said, today is today is Star Wars Day. It's May the Fourth. May the Fourth be with you, by the way. So of course, everybody is aware of this day. Everybody is aware of the film franchise as a whole. And I have—I think I've talked about this before. I, I know I did on social media, and I think I don't know if I've done it on this show. So I will do so. I'm going to be 20 years old in a month and a half. That's not the breaking news, by the way. I have not watched Star Wars up until a month ago. I watched all nine movies. watched the originals, then the prequels, then the sequels. And uh, immediate takeaways, the originals were, as you would imagine, classic, nostalgic, the whole bit. I thought the prequels were way better than advertised. And the sequels were straight garbage. Ray was—I liked Ray as a character. Um, Poe Dameron wasn't my favorite. There were some good characters in there, uh, but I thought the story in general, especially God, the last movie just pissed me off with what they did with the the villain. But I thought they really screwed up some. I think they really screwed up Luke Skywalker. Uh, but that's just that's just me on my soapbox uh, soapbox for uh, for a moment here. Uh, but I decided to do a segment. It being Star Wars and everything, let me get this.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: So, uh, like I said, it is Star Wars Day, so uh, May the 4th be with you. There we go. Show off the green lightsaber. I hope it, I hope you can see it's green on uh, live, but uh, yeah. So, all that said, going to do a segment. Since I'm finally into the Star Wars series and I'm essentially hooked, I can thank my sister for that. I'm doing a segment, a little crossover. Star Wars and sports. Which Star Wars characters remind me the most of athletes? I decided to choose eight uh, Star Wars characters uh, to, to go off of. Essentially to say like, and, and again, we're not doing sequel characters. We're not doing that. We're just, I'm sorry. So who that offends? We are not doing sequel characters. Prequels. And originals. These are kind of my f- eight favorite characters, although I uh, wasn't able to get uh, C3P on in on here, but you know, I all due respect to him. I'm not C3PO, not C3, I can't stand C3PO. R2 D2. I love R2, but no, so if we can get the background music a little not Star Wars theme, but a little uh sort of space theme-ish music going on right here. All right. Okay, we're in. So we're start. Right off the bat with, in my view, probably the most important character of the, uh, of the original series, Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker, we know, the son of, uh, of Padme and of Anakin, and is somebody who uh, is certainly, <laughs> certainly gives a, a boyish vibe in A New Hope, isn't all that, uh, in all honesty, likable. But as the series goes on, about midway through Empire Strikes Back and certainly the entirety of Return of the Jedi, he really evolves into this kind of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of a, a bad character, if you know what I mean. Like, a, not, not not bad in the way of, like, he's, he's a terrible, terribly written, he's perfectly written. Uh, but he's the hero of the original. So, which athlete, and there's coaches involved in this too, by the way, but which athlete reminds me the most of Luke Skywalker? And it's Steph Curry for me. Here's why. Steph Curry is a guy... Who we knew had potential, drafted seventh overall out of Davidson, was somebody who, you know, kind of, we talked about his shooting ability, but we didn't talk about his hand all that much. We dang sure didn't talk about his defense. And we worried a lot about his size. Like there were major concerns about whether or not Steph could get to that level being now today, almost a unanimous, certainly unanimous MVP, but almost a unanimous top 10 player of all time. We could have never dreamed that when he came in the NBA with the size. Yes, he could shoot, but that was, and he could handle the ball at a decent level, but that was about all he could do. The way he has evolved his game, the way he has changed throughout, evolved his body. I mean, you look at his, him physically now compared to 2009 we he came in the league. It's night and day. It's not even close. Uh, so you talk about Steph. You talk about how uh, he's evolved into this, you know, this major leader for the Warriors. This kind of moral compass He's really the heartbeat of the franchise. That's kind of Luke Skywalker. I mean, if, if you look at Luke from A New Hope onto The Return of the Jedi, it's a different character. It's a different guy. With one less hand, by the way. So Luke, Luke Skywalker, I think his sports equivalent, the guy who reminds me most of him uh, is Steph Curry. Moving on to, let's see, do we have, okay. Moving on to Chewbacca. We're gonna have to do like a good buildup for the end. To Chewbacca. This was a hard one. Because Chewie is, we all know, best friend of Han Solo, co-pilot of the Millennium Falcon. Everybody's heard the the Chewie sound effect noise. Um, big guy, obviously, little hairy, very loyal to Han Solo and loyal to the uh, the movement to beat uh, the uh, Empire. Very good at what he does. But and I love Chewie. Tends to get hurt a lot. And so who rem- but plays by the way plays through it or in his case fights through it. Who reminded me the most of Chewie? And this might be the most controversial in this list. Josh Allen for me reminded me the most of Chewie personally. Josh Allen is a big quarterback, big athlete. Um, You know, it's kind of the, obviously he's the leader of the bills, big strong arm, the whole bit, but it's not somebody we think of in terms of durability. Does he fight through injuries? Yeah. Kind of the way Brett Favre did, but he's had, well no, he's he's had some shoulder problems. He had a big injury last year that he played through that I think really kind of cost the Bills their their season, uh with with him, you know, being out there on the field. Uh he's mobile. He's obviously he's he's improved his accuracy over the years. He's kind of the do-it-all guy as a quarterback. Can do everything well, but you worry about durability, but he's a big, strong athlete and is incredibly loyal to his teammates in the Buffalo organization. I felt like the most, for me, that reminded me of Chewie. So I decided to go with that. Uh, Josh Allen and Chewie, I feel like the similarities are, are uncanny. We'll move on to one of the favorite characters of the prequels played by the great Samuel L. Jackson, Mace Windu. Obviously, the only guy in the history of Star Wars the purple lightsaber. Fun fact about Mace Windu. Windu I did not know this. Reportedly, Tupac was in conversations with uh, with George Lucas to play the role of Mace Windu. Apparently, Tupac was a huge Star Wars fan, and there's potential. And I, I, I could, I think he would have done a, a very good job in that role. With all due respect to Samuel L. Jackson, of course, uh, we lost Tupac uh, tragically in the mid '90s, and so Samuel L. Jackson took on the role and did a great job with it. But Mace Windu is a guy very calm, very wise, but kind of rigid. We all know. And again, I'm I'm you're doing a lot of spoilers right now, but I'm sorry. Revenge of the Sith came out almost 20 years ago. If you haven't heard by this point, that's on you. Uh, but Revenge of the Sith, he denies Anakin the uh, the rank of master. And there's a lot of things he's very hesitant. He doesn't even, he doesn't want a Qui-Gon and the Phantom Menace to train Anakin because he's, you know, kind of unorthodox. Like there's all these things going on. Mace Windu is, is, is a great Jedi, but is really rigid. That to me screamed Russell Westbrook. Holy cow, is Russell Westbrook talented. Averaging a triple-double four out of five years, that is unheard of. But it's his way of the highway. He is not changing his game for you, for me, his teammates, as anybody. Westbrook's played one way. He played one way coming into the NBA in 2008 and plays the exact same way in 2023, which is why his game is aged poorly. It's completely reliant on athleticism, not all that reliant on, you know, uh... Game awareness, basketball IQ, the whole bit. Just reliant on I'm going to play harder than anybody on the floor, which I think we can all respect that. Um, I'm going to be relentless in terms of you know grabbing rebounds, setting my teammates for good shots, scoring the basketball to the best of my ability. But came to the NBA, couldn't shoot, and today I'm probably a worse shooter than I was coming into the NBA. Uh, so there's again, there's a rigidity there. Listen, I like Mace Windu like the next guy, but the rigidity, the, what, what, what he did with uh with my man Anakin was just just, just wrong, man. He, he did him dirty. Like he's Mace is really the anti-luke. Like he looks and feels and talks like a Jedi ma- master, but he never really evolves beyond the Phantom Menace between the Phantom Miss and Revenge of the Sith. Um and so I feel like that's Russell Westbrook. Steph came in the NBA as one guy. He came in the NBA just a year after Westbrook did in 09. Steph came in the NBA as one guy Kind of a different player now. He's better at his strengths and has improved his weaknesses. Westbrook, same dude. And is aging poorly uh, in the NBA. And so that's why I, th- I think uh, Mace Windu's equivalent is Russell Westbrook. Another prequel, prequel character, an underrated character. Padway- Padme Amidala, right? The future wife of Anakin Skywalker. Uh, she's uh, the Queen of Naboo in the first movie. Is she the queen of, the, she's the queen of something? I'm, st- I'm still learning my Star Wars, guys. In the first movie, and then becomes a senator in the next two. And, spoiler alert, dies tragically after giving birth to Leia and Luke. And so, who reminded me the most of Padme? Strong character, great leadership, uh, but is often too reliant on her, phys- uh, not her physical abilities, but, like, the, the, her leadership abilities and things of that nature. Doesn't really think outside the box in terms of people she can bring in the picture. That reminded me a little bit of Giannis. Giannis came in the NBA and again kind of like Steph is a totally different player in terms of a physical standpoint as Steph is or as Giannis was coming the NBA but a little like Westbrook he kind of plays one way and we saw that this is now the second time no I'm sorry the third time in the last five years that that's gotten exposed a little bit I thought 2021 obviously they won the championship what he did clearly worked and in 2022 he didn't have enough help to beat Boston. Like he was great in that series, he was not the reason they lost. Uh, it's just his teammates were not able to, to step up and and help him get the job done. This year, the missed free throws, the kind of running from the basketball again. He still you don't trust him to take you know take the ball and get you a good look uh, by himself to create his own shot outside of the paint. And blinded at his his abilities have almost blinded him a little bit, kind of like Padme. Again, fantastic leader. She's, the, she's, she's a freaking teenager as the queen and is a great senator, is very loyal to her people. But she trusts Anakin too much. She falls in love with Anakin and it literally gets her killed. So it's, it's, it's the whole bit. And it's, again, seeing past, the, the scene that bothered me the most was when she was shocked that Anakin turned to the dark side and had killed younglings when Anakin had done a very similar act in episode two. When he killed uh, all those people who had murdered his mom, like it's he kind of had a pattern, a history of this. She didn't see past that. I feel like it's similarities in some ways to Giannis. That doesn't diminish either of them. That that to me is a similarity. So uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo to me is the equivalent of Padme Amidala. Back to the original uh, trilogy, we'll move on to Han Solo, probably one of the most beloved characters in the Star Wars series. They again, that's a he's another guy they did dirty in the sequels. I'm sorry, I don't care. anybody anybody has to say about that. Great pilot, kind of dry, little stuck in his ways, but again, very loyal to uh, to his friends and to the movement, um, but is a little passive-aggressive, a little my way the highway, a little, again, very much lives up to his last name, Solo. This was on the easier ones of the list for me, Aaron Rodgers, Han Solo's Aaron Rodgers. If, if, If if Han Solo's equivalent in sports is not Aaron Rodgers, please tell me who it is, because I I can't find it. Han is an awesome pilot. Aaron is an awesome quarterback. First ballot Hall of Famer. But leadership intangibles have been a... uh... A little bit of an Achilles heel for him and were for the Packers, certainly uh, in the latter part of his tenure there. And I worry about just a bit after some recent stories have come out about his time with the New York Jets, which is coming up uh, this season. I worry about that with Aaron Rodgers. But he's incredibly talented. More times than not, gets the job done. To his credit, you can never take this away from him. He is a Super Bowl champion from 2010, and he does have four MVPs. But again, moving off of some of his methods that seem to be kind of a theme of some of the Star Wars characters it's with some athletes. If you kind of tap into a more more of a leadership role, I think you could really see the difference certainly in Green Bay and definitely now with the New York Jets who need a leader as far more than the Packers. had. The Packers are an established organization. Like, they'll, they'll rebound in the next decade. Not this year, but in the next decade. The Jets, they need Aaron. So I feel like it's a little bit of that. Like, You'd much rather, kind of like the Packers, you'd rather have Aaron Rodgers than Jordan Love. But, man, there's a lot to be desired there in terms of what he brings from a leadership perspective. I mean, it's the same thing with Han. Like, he sometimes he, he, he ditched Luke. Like, it's, it's kind of that same thing. So, Han Solo, Aaron Rodgers, to me, is is the equivalent there. Uh, moving on to, let's see, uh, Princess Leia. Uh, this was a tough one, because Princess Leia is obviously uh very willful Kind of a uh, a little bit strong-headed in terms of, uh, very similar to Han. Doesn't listen to a whole lot of outside uh, information. Kind of keeps everything internal in terms of the people that she most closely trusts. Which, there's some upsides to that and there's some downsides. And she's a bit stubborn. But, more times than not, she's right. And it works for the character's benefits. That, to me, is Jimmy Butler. You could question Jimmy's methods. His leadership is that of uh, very similar to that of Michael Jordan, which rubs a lot of people the wrong way. You cannot say that man don't deliver when it matters most. Playoff Jimmy, which I've been talking about all playoffs long, is a very, very real thing. Talk about what he did in 2020 in the bubble, what he did last year, particularly in Game 6 and Game 7, against the Boston Celtics, who were the clearly better team. And if Jimmy hits one shot in Game 7, the Heat go to the Finals. And then leads the Heat to upset the one C Bucks of the first round. And then we assume he'll come back for game three. I got the Miami Heat beating the Knicks in six games in the second round. So you'll have potentially a third Eastern Conference Finals appearance in four years for Jimmy Butler. Again, Leia and, and, and her leadership t- style kind of changes in the sequels. Again, we're not gonna acknowledge the sequels a whole lot, but you know, again, she was a young leader. Like she's still again kind of similar to a mother. She kind of has some things to learn as times went on, as time went on, but got better at it. But Question her methods, what she did worked. The same thing could be said about Jimmy Butler. To me, that is the real uh, equivalence uh, there. Let's see, how many more do we have left? We got, let's see, we got one. Yeah, we got one, two, three left. Yeah, we got three characters left. Okay, so we'll move now to Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is one of the more well-written characters, I think, in the history of cinema. When you talk about his evolution from the Phantom Menace to Return of the Jedi episodes 1 through 6 in that order he's the young learner in the Phantom Menace he becomes the mentor in the Clone Wars uh, Attack of the Clones and then in episode 3 he is the brother he's a brother figure to Anakin Skywalker in episode 4 he's the wise old mentor of Luke both in person and through the force in episodes 5 and 6 like very like you talk about somebody who's been through a lot Obi-Wan's the top of the list. He lost his whole, uh, all, all of his friends from the Jedi Order. He lost his, a guy who's closer to him than a brother in Anakin. And listen, the guy, like I said, the guy, the guy went through a lot. But his leadership is fantastic. To me, the our first coach we're using. That's Steve Kerr. We know about Steve Kerr's personal life. He, he's, he's been through a lot. But Steve Kerr, the one thing you have to say about him not just as a coach, but when he was a general manager with the Phoenix Suns. You, t- you give Steve Kerr talent, and he will get the absolute most out of it. Those Suns teams were talented, they should not have pushed the Lakers as far as they did in the playoffs year after year after year, or the Spurs in the playoffs. That should not have been the case. Steve Nash was great. Do we really think of Steve Nash as like one of the all-time pantheon icons of the sport? Not really. Hall of Famer, yes. Icon, no. Year after year, Western Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals. And then with the Warriors, again, may I reiterate the stat? After the Warriors beat the Kings in the first round, Steve Kerr now moves to 19-0 and 0 in the Western Conference in the playoffs. That's insane. So, essentially, every year, and this year to be determined, but every year the Golden State Warriors are in the playoffs – they get to minimum Game 6 of the Finals. That's incredible. We can talk about the talent he's had there. We can talk about Steph Curry, Kevin Durant for a, a few years there, Clay and Draymond and Iguodala for a time. Now you talk about Kavon Looney. It's all about Jordan Poole. It's so the role players they've had. But he's the main been the main constant along with the big three, Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Uh, and I'm sorry, they do not have four championships without Steve Kerr. I'm not sure they get more than one without Steve Kerr. Again, Jordan doesn't have any championships with Phil Jackson. Duncan doesn't have any championships without Popovich. Steph doesn't have any titles without Steve Kerr. Kerr has a lot to do with that. And moving on to uh, easily, and it's not even close to the best villain uh, of the series. It's not Darth Vader. It's Emperor Palpatine, who is manipulative. Uh, if, if you had to, ch- to talk about somebody who's the very definition of the word evil, it is uh, it is Darth Sidious, as he became known as as time went on. Uh, the, one of the more powerful figures in the history of Star Wars. And does not care to sell out his guys. Be it Darth Maul. Be it Count Dooku. Be it Darth Vader toward the end of Return of the Jedi. Does not care to sell them out. If they're not doing what he wants them to do. In act. In stature. In look. It's Bill Belichick which I've called Palpatine before. Bill Belichick's Emperor Palpatine. Like it's the this one, this was again, one of the easier ones uh, on this list. I'm sorry. We have two more after this, two more characters after this one. Um, Belichick has been known in the past to cut players before Super Bowls after they have big, you know, big time seasons after they get paid. You talk about Chandler Jones, talk about memory bench, Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl after he played every defensive snap in the regular season. After just, three years before that, was the hero of Super Bowl forty-nine, and Belichick benches him. Like, how do you bench Malcolm Butler? He did, came back to bite him, uh, and even in the end, when it was all said and done, the man sold out Tom Brady. He sold out the greatest quarterback of all time after Tom had a down season, which we found out in Tampa Bay was not on Tom. It was around the talent around him, because once he got to Tampa, what a shocker, they won the Super Bowl. Belichick's kind of known for this, like Palpatine. Plus, you got the hoodie. You got, you know, it's. I will say Palpatine smiles more than Belichick uh, uh, does. But it's you know, kind of grumpy at all times. Manipulative in some ways. Not 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 scared to sell out people if they're not, to use Belichick's phrase, doing their job. That gets Palpatine written all over. And plus, leading the imp- evil empire, which was the New England Patriots, for two decades. Moving on to my personal favorite character in Star Wars, Yoda. Going into Star Wars, I know Yoda. I knew he was he was the Jedi Master. I knew he had trained Luke. But as I watched the originals and certainly the prequels, I'm like, "This Yoda dude's kind bad. I like this dude. This this little green guy. Like he, he he's he's where it's at." Yoda lived to be what 900 years old, and was still up until his dying breath as important and as powerful a character as there was. I mean, almost beat Palpatine a lightsaber duel when he was, what, 800? Like, that's that's unheard of. To me, again, one of the easier ones this list, that's Tom Brady. We just talked about Belichick with Palpatine. This is Tom Brady. Tom Brady is a guy who, like Yoda, in his la- his last year in the NFL, with Yoda in his last uh, appearance uh, in a Star Wars film, at least when it- which he's alive, it's, yeah, it looks a little rough. Tom didn't have the greatest year in the world last year. I don't think he was really a top 10 quarterback, if we're being honest. But before that, <laughs> probably the most powerful, Yoda might have been the most powerful character in Star Wars up to that point. And Tom was easily, you know, about the greatest quarterback of all time, but for two decades, two decades, he was the best quarterback in the NFL. Accuracy, arm strength, leadership, intangibles, the whole bit. And he won more than anybody has ever won in the history of the National Football League. Both rolled as dirt, but both were still really effective until the very end. That is Yoda, and that is Tom Brady. And finally, last, but oh certainly, certainly not least. The iconic character himself, the man in the suit, formerly known as Anakin Skywalker. Darth Vader. Now, this was a tough one. Like who who embodies somebody who is beloved at first, has the fall from grace, is hated by all but feared by all and then ultimately redeems himself. This again, once I came to it, it made all the sense in the world. It's LeBron James. LeBron James is the Star Wars equivalent of uh, of Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker. Think about LeBron. First of all, both LeBron and Vader share a similar nickname. They called Vader the chosen one. I'm sorry, Anakin the chosen one when he was a boy, when he was nine years old. They called LeBron the chosen one when he was a freaking junior in high school. Both embraced it. Uh, both kind of use it as an opportunity to help themselves get better. Both were, again... Anakin was the most powerful in his prime, so to speak. LeBron, the best player in the league in his entire prime for, what, 15 years? But LeBron leaves Cleveland, goes to Miami. Now everybody outside the city of Miami hates him, but they fear him. They're like, God, he's he's, he's about to ruin the league now. He's about to win all these championships. Darth Vader, similarly, turns to the dark side, becomes Darth Vader. We understand what happened between him and Obi-Wan before that. And you see, you have all that coming into a guy who is as feared as anybody in the galaxy, probably outside of Palpatine. Maybe as powerful a character as there was in Star Wars, outside of his son Luke who came along earlier. But Darth Vader redeemed himself at the end when he killed Palpatine to save his son Luke. And he died, Anakin Skywalker. LeBron James, in the eyes of many, redeemed himself by going back to the city of Cleveland. Cleveland! Cleveland! (sighs) And winning a championship with the Cavaliers and breaking my... Warrior loving heart and the hearts of all Warriors fans across the world, and essentially redeeming himself for, his, for the fans, for his, his teammates, for the whole city, and for everybody involved. LeBron James is Darth Vader. That's all I got to say. So, quick recap. Of the characters, so we'll go uh, not in quite the order that we use, but uh, Yoda is Tom Brady, Princess Leia is Jimmy Butler, Luke Skywalker is Steph Curry, Han Solo is Aaron Rodgers, Padme Amidala is Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi is Steve Kerr, Chewbacca is Josh Allen, Mace Windu is Russell Westbrook, Palpatine is Bill Belichick, and finally. Darth Vader is LeBron James. That's what I got. Like I said, I'm still new to the Star Wars thing. I'm still learning as time goes on. Again, I just got into it over, uh, over the last month, but I got to admit, I'm I'm totally all in. Hate the sequels. Love the prequels. And of course, who who in their right mind, even a Star Wars fan, doesn't love the originals? They're awesome. They're awesome. So may the 4th be with you. And with all that said, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live. Not tomorrow, potentially. I'm not sure what we're going to do with tomorrow. We should definitely be back on Monday, though, uh, and I'll tell you what time we have by then. I get a lot of schedule conflicts, so I'll let you know uh, before then. So um, be sure to like, share, comment, take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network on YouTube, where you can find my show as well as the show of our other incredible creators and where you can listen to all of our shows anywhere you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, we got you covered. Any and everywhere, just go subscribe to The Grid Network. Have a great week slash weekend. Again, not quite sure if I'll be back tomorrow. Depends on what happens tonight with Warriors Lakers. I may give like a quick video reaction to that. We'll see. But everybody stay safe out there. Uh, Be sure to take care of your physicals as well as your mental health. Please be sure to call your local state representatives uh, and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Have a great week. Everybody stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. And may the force be with you, by the way. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office.